Blog Talk Radio. From the baddest borough in the world, Brooklyn, New York, it's Blazing Rye Radio. Today, from the new off-Broadway revival of Rent, Annalie Ashford. Featuring the Blazing Rye panel. Disenfranchised subway rider Ryan Home. Hey everybody, what's going on? It's Thursday, September 1st, 2011. Glad to have you tuning into Blazing Rye Radio, either on the phone or online with our chat room. We've got a great show coming up, but first it's time for something we always like to do at the top of the show. It's the Blaze and Ride panel. Today I'm joined by an actress who can uh, who will be returning to the off-Broadway smash hit Love, Loss, and What I Wore beginning September 7th and will be performing at the Gotham Comedy Club on September 13th, Ashley Austin Morris. I'm also joined by the host of Project Karaoke Thursday Night at the Time Out New York Lounge, a man who wears a shirt less than anybody else I've ever met, Patrick Kuzara. Ashley, Patrick, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Hi. Hello, nice to be here. <laughs> Great. All right, guys, let's get right down to it. Um, so, Jack White and the Insane Clown Posse joined forces to cover Mozart. Um, this was surprising to many people. Uh, how did this How did this collaboration make you feel, Ashley Austin Morris? Well, I just actually tried to listen to the clip, and I was like, it made me feel really happy because all this time I thought I could never have a singing career because I have no talent for it. And then I realized that you just have to be fat and curse a lot. And so I feel very happy about that because um, maybe that's maybe that's something I can do later on in life. <laughs> so now you plan on just blowing up like a balloon and cursing like a drunken sailor. And shaving my head and getting tattoos and being like, it's Mozart, yo. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> and how about you, Patrick? What do you think of this song? Well, here's, here's my theory. They're both from Detroit. Uh, Jack White and then Sane Tom Posse. And there's really not much else happening in Detroit right now. So it sounds like they just uh, got together for a drunken weekend and uh, sampled Mozart and, and just went to town with it. And, I mean, does anyone really listen to Insane Clown Posse anymore? I mean, really? Yeah. Well, they have that whole set of fans called Juggalos, you know. Juggalos? I, was, I wasn't aware, no. Yeah. At first yeah. I was like, um, wait, Mozart was not from Detroit. You're crazy. <laughs> oh, you didn't, well, you didn't know maybe. that? Yeah, well, maybe I what mean, happened the other night maybe. was maybe they, they, got, um, they got so drunk or maybe they were on some drugs and, and Mozart actually, do you think they actually channeled Mozart and that's how they got the idea for the song? I don't know, they probably wrote it during Hurricane Irene. Like, it sounds like what everyone else did during Hurricane Irene. It sounds exactly the same. So true. So, so were true. you, were, were both of you doing a lot of drugs during Hurricane Irene? No, I was writing rap songs with uh, Mozart in Detroit. 
I was actually watching a lot of Pawn Stars and Porn Stars. I went I went Pawn Stars on Netflix and Porn Stars on on the internet. So I was I was set all weekend. <laughs> um, okay. Well, uh, moving on. Star Wars fans are livid with uh, George Lucas, legendary director, for adding CGI spacemen to the Blu-ray DVD of Star Wars. Um, you know, people think don't mess with the masterpiece and. Are you just doing this to make a little more money, make a quick buck? Uh, what do you think about this, Patrick? Uh, I th- I'm, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, first of all. Let me preface it by saying that. And I think it's a big disgrace to uh, the people who actually were, were involved in creating this film. I mean, they're planning on replacing Yoda with a CGI character. I mean, come on. If I was, like, the grandson of the guy who made the puppet, Yoda... I'm, I'm like, bragging to my friends, like, all this time about, you know, my grandpa was, you know, basically in Star Wars, and now I'm not the coolest kid on the playground anymore. It's, it's, it's pretty, it's bullshit. I'm sorry. You're not a friend's grandpa with Yoda? No, 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 I'm just saying, if I was, if, if my, my friend's grandpa, like, made the puppet that Yoda, you know, that they used, I've got nothing. I've got nothing anymore. (laughs) And, Ashley, is this as devastating to you as it is to Patrick? Well, I was going to say something, but then Patrick said he was a huge Star Wars fan, so now I can't say that. Um, oh, come on. You, but, you can say anything you want. Well, I was going to be like, whatever they say Star Wars fans are livid. I'm like, oh, no, I can't pay attention to that. Um, <laughs> but I do have to say, like, a non – I don't know why I want to take a serious note, but I'd like to take this for a serious turn. Um, non <laughs> jo- – you know, joking aside, I it I feel like – disgusted with kind of the way people just change things to accommodate the times. And it's like, why can't we learn to value things from the past? It's really disappointing. I'm not going to say the Broadway show, but I think we all know the Broadway show. It's like, well, no, people aren't that stupid. Like just leave things alone and let them be like, are we going to change gone with the wind next? Is that what's going to happen? Like, like, is Scarlett O'Hara going to be on her iPad? Like, I've always, you know, I'll think about that tomorrow. Like, uh-huh. you well, know, it's far too it's long for audiences now. It's far too long. Anything anything that's, you know, over two hours is far too yeah. long for, for modern audiences. So. Right. That's why my stand-up hey, uh, show at Gotham on September 13th is seven and a half hours long to teach everyone a lesson. <laughs> hey, and I assume Patrick, most of them will be making show. appearance, too. <laughs> Wait, depends on the amount of alcohol you've consumed. Um, but Patrick, sure. what Broadway show are you uh, is Ashley talking about? Can you tell me? I don't know. Oh, no, uh, don't, don't. Are, 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 we, are we not allowed? Uh, it's actually not on Broadway yet, if we're talking about what I think it is. Uh, well, the Gershwin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Porgy and Bess, yes, yes. Of course, and, and oh, okay. uh, the master, Sondheim, already has, has spoken up on all of the artist's behalf. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I think that I think that we just need we need a little more of that. We need a little more of uh, returning to the way things were actually written. So I, I agree. I agree, 100 percent. And I'm sorry that I'm a Star Wars fan. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I I was just kidding, and then I realized, you know, actually, I don't think anything. I think everything is funny, but I don't actually think changing <laughs> things from the past is funny. Like you have to honor it. Totally wow, who knew that this would rile you up, Ashley? I had no idea. I love that I have no problem watching those Feed the Children ads, and yet this, I'm like, no. I'm <laughs> uh, last up today, uh, there, there is a gym offering air 
napping class. This gym club, it teaches uh, people how to nap. What do you make of this, Ashley Austin Morris? I didn't have time to read this article. Um, <laughs> it teaches people how to nap. Yeah. Oh, not really. It, that's the thing. It doesn't teach them how to nap. I was, I was, I was looking it up, and I was like, I actually don't know how to nap. I can't nap. I'm one of those people that just can't do it. Yeah. So I was like, if it actually, if it's a class on teaching how to nap, then I can understand. But it's actually kind of grown-up daycare where they literally stick you in a bag and you just hang there and and they play quiet music and then you go to sleep for a half an hour. Literally, that's all That's all that it says that it does. So I'm like, if I'm not getting a snack when I wake up, then what am I doing here? Like, it's just kind of ridiculous. Yeah, so, and if I'm not playing doctor with the little kid next to me in the sleeping bag, I'm not going. Exactly. Oh, my God. You do that now? No, I'm kidding. But that's a part of daycare. Hey, off-Broadway, yeah, you never know what happens off-Broadway, let me tell you. <laughs> well, you know, rules are completely different. She can't it's get totally on the Broadway. They, she tries and tries, and she can't get on. They um, won't but let you me. Know how, they won't let me. <laughs> they won't let her on. Um, Ashley, do you know how this whole uh, gym napping thing has made me feel? I'm sorry. What did you say? Do you know how this whole thing has made me feel? Uh, how? <laughs> oh God, a certain way. Hit it. Well, a certain way. to nap at the gym. Americans are so fat and lazy and sleep a, a lot as it is. What's the point of this? Um, uh, the fact that a gym is uh, has set aside time for napping, that makes me feel a certain way. Also, as Patrick was just saying, if you're hanging upside down in a bag, how can you possibly get to sleep for any of the 30 minutes they've allotted you? And the way I initially imagined it was that you're kind of on the floor uh, sleeping with a bunch of other sweaty gym goers, which I would imagine you would get an infection from, and I'm sure that people will start doing it that way if this uh, trend becomes popular. So the whole thing makes me feel a certain way, and uh, if Patrick Kuzara isn't into it, and I know he goes to the gym frequently, uh, then I am not into it either. Well, isn't that what equity cops are for? Naps, right? I mean, if they just lay out an equity cop at every gym, then the problem would be solved. Just saying. Oh, I know. Absolutely. Well, go see Patrick tonight at um, New World Stages, at the Time Out New York Lounge for uh, Project Karaoke, 10 p.m. It's cool karaoke. And, it's uh, really cool karaoke. It's fun. Sorry. Just had that. It's fun. And, what, and that Patrick, lounge what's the is theme? fun. That lounge is fun. Ooh, we got a little endorsement. I didn't even pay her. Yeah, it's really fun. <laughs> what, 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 what is the theme of tonight? What's, uh, there's what's actually the theme no, no theme. It's, it's Get Wasted and... And and sing, and get wasted some more. Oh great! And uh, Ashley Gotham Comedy Club September thirteenth, and uh, also in Love Lost and What I Wore September seventh. Ashley Patrick, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank Have you. a and great it was a day. Pleasure, pleasure meeting you. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye. Talk to you guys soon. All right, um, Patrick Kizara, Ashley Austin Morris. Uh, my guest today is a talented actress currently starring as Maureen in the off-Broadway revival of Rent, which is 
now playing at New World Stages right here in New York City. Please welcome to the program, Annalie Ashford. Ooh, what a large studio audience you have. They are looking at me talking to you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming on today. How's your summer going? Oh, my summer's great. Um, everything's been kind of delicious and warm in just the right way, and that hurricane was kind of interesting. What a waste of a weekend, huh? Well, you know, I was with friends, so that was, you know, it's good to catch up with them. But it was really, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the blackout. Oh, okay. I wasn't here for that. You were here for that big blackout? Yeah. Um, I was in college. I was actually an RA, and I was just, just like, we were just about to start RA training. And um, mm-hmm. it was crazy. It was the same kind of feel in terms of, like, so rarely does the entire city shut down like that. You know, never. Yeah. But when it does, you know, you feel a sense of community in a, in a way that you that you don't always because nobody can do anything, you know? Right. That's true, I guess. Yeah, everyone kind of coming together in their own inconvenience. Um, yeah. And I, I know that you've been having quite a busy summer. Have you have you had any downtime to, to take in beautiful New York, uh, the beautiful weather we've been having that uh, does not include Irene, obviously? Uh, no, right. Well, you know, it's um, been such a great summer. It's been so busy. And, um, you know, we just opened the show, uh, oh, gosh, three weeks ago. Um, and before that, when we were in previews, we literally were, you know, at the theater every single day from 1 o'clock until, you know, we left the theater at night after the show. So it's been it's been really crazy busy, but it's been amazing. It's been such a such a beautiful, creative process. Well, yeah, and I, I'd love to tell you, congratulations on the success of Rant. Uh, the reviews for the show are looking pretty great. Um, hey. How has the... Absolutely, and you're getting rave reviews as Maureen. Uh, I, my, one of my best friends... Uh, saw the show recently and couldn't stop talking about how great you were, and that was before she even knew you were coming on the show. Um, so, oh, that's so wonderful. sweet. Um, so how, I mean, how has this experience been to be part of this this revival? You know, it's really interesting to to be part of any type of revival, but it, this, this specific revival has been, I think, kind of abnormal in the fact that uh, it's so close to the closing of the original production. So in that right. sense, you know, you don't have the distance of time that you do with, with most revivals. Um, but I think it, in this particular instance, I think it was helpful to the piece because we had so many people involved creatively that were part of that original production. And what makes that so important is is because of the circumstances surrounding the original production in terms of, you know, Jonathan Larson's, his, um, his passing and, um, and, you know, the, the piece kind of stopping its creative process so early because of his passing. You know, usually when you when you put a show on Broadway, its journey to Broadway is is always, you know, in flux. The show is constantly in flux. So the fact that the show kind of grows so early on in its process, you know, makes those original creative people so important in, in understanding the piece. Um so it was, yeah. it was wonderful to have them all around and have them, mm-hmm. you know, to be so close in time to to when the first piece when the piece was first done. It helped us, you know, get at the text a lot quicker. Um, and it was exciting right. to 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 reevaluate, um, you know, the show that 
that not, not only we know so well, but the audiences know so well. Well, speaking of, did you really need time to to get off book? Because you probably knew every word to the show already now. Oh, my God. You know what's so funny is um, my mom's an elementary school gym teacher, and so, you know, she mm-hmm. doesn't sing and dance at all. Um, and when I was, uh, God, I was probably like 12, the show had just come out, and uh, she went and got the album, but we didn't have a CD player in our white minivan. We only had a tape player, tape deck. Mm-hmm. Were really cool. What is a tape? What, can you explain to the people who don't know that are listening what a tape deck is? Oh my God! Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> how do you not know what a tape deck is? Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I continue. Oh my Lord! I know, right? But there's probably people <laughs> out there that are like, "What is a tape?" Um, yeah. What is anyways, a CD? So, oh, it's so crazy. So, anyways, tape one was act one. Tape two was act two. The first time we listened to it, for some reason, we just, like, kept replaying Act 2. And then we realized we listened to it every night on the way to dance the back. And then we realized we couldn't find Act 1. We, like, lost it for a whole year. And we cleaned the car one day and found it. <laughs> so I know Act So you had two. no idea what was going on? No. And then we listened to it and we're like, oh, I'll cover you with <laughs> next temple in the first act. And, oh, you know, all these things. So... What's funny about the show in terms of my process with it is I knew Act 2 like the back of my hand. And I don't I don't know very many shows that well. I think this and Dreamgirls I know like the back of my hand. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I have a feeling I'll never be in rehearsal with Dreamgirls. Um, but anyway. Well, you never know. <laughs> uh-huh. I know, right? I mean, um, my dream role, can I just tell you my dream role is Usnavi and in the Heights, and I'm, I'm the wrong skin color as well. So, so frustrating. <laughs> I love that. Oh, my God, that's amazing. But, yeah, so I knew it really well. I didn't know Act 1 very well, which I actually think was really helpful in my interpretation of the performance piece because I really came to mm-hmm. it with fresh um, fresh eyes and a fresh perspective. Sure. That's so interesting that you were – that you learned Act – that you knew Act 2 so well at age 11 and then you didn't have the expositional aspects, but you loved it anyway because the music is so great. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and, and I know it. I knew it well, but I didn't know it. I yeah. mean, like, Act 2, I know literally, like, the back of my hand. For some reason, yeah. it just is ingrained in a part of my brain that will never leave. Well, as it should be. And you know what this <laughs> reminds me of, this revival? It's sort of like the, the Fantastics. You know, the Fantastics left, and then it, a few years later, it was back, and Rent left, and even fewer years later, it was back. And, and what these shows, I mean... Um, I've never seen the Fantastics, but it, it was, from what I understand, it's kind of a, an institution here in the city. And Rent uh, certainly is, and it's like, you know, it, it's my favorite show, and it's sort of the, I, I think it's like the musical of our generation. So I, I feel like it, you know, it should be here, and I'm glad it's back. Yeah, you know, a lot of people who worked on the show originally, and a lot of people who are involved in Jonathan's life, um, have said, you know, throughout this process that. Rent is very important to New York culture and New York history, and I really believe that. Um, uh, you know, a lot. Uh, that's another part of working on the show. You know, at this point in my life, what has been so interesting is there are parts of the show that I understand so much um, better than I ever would have because I I live in New York now. I'm I'm a New Yorker. I've lived here for you know such a long time now that I kind of understand some of the cultural elements of the show um, about being a New Yorker. Um, Sure. I feel like it's. I think that is a. I think that's a beautiful comparison in terms of a show being a New York institution. I think that's a big reason why 
you know, not just the producers, but the creative team wanted to be a part of, of you know, of its revival and, and and putting it in a place where they knew that they could they could keep it going and and keep it available for so people to come and see. Um, I think I yeah. think it is it's going to become kind of one of those you know New York institution shows, which is beautiful and um, you know it's really interesting to see it in the smaller space. Um, because it's mm-hmm. you know quite a bit smaller than the Nederlander, which I think is is kind of beautiful because that's how it started originally at the New York Theater Workshop, um, and keeps right. it in, in a smaller space, keeps it more intimate, um, and uh, I think the storytelling in the in the show in this in this particular revival, I think has clarified some some moments of you know of storytelling. I think it's I think some things are more clear even than they were before, which is you know, kind of interesting and, and surprising, I think, for people. Can you uh, give an example of one of those things that's clearer now, you think? Um, you know, I, I think that Michael Grice's version Without You has been, I mean, it, it was beautiful before, but I, this is one of the moments of the show that I get to watch every night. Um, so uh-huh. to mine. Um, before, I remember when we first started working on it, he said, well, you guys know that Rogers among us will be in, and we were like, oh, he is? You know, there was just never a place for us to really see him in that kind of space because there was so much open space before. But now right. the way that he has staged it so beautifully, you know that at the beginning he's he's not in the hospital, Angel's in the hospital, he's preparing to go, go to the hospital. And then through by the end of the song we see Angel being taken care of by Collins and we see Roger taking his place in the hospital. So it's, you know, immediately very clear. You know, just little tiny, tiny details like that. But I think with the the staging of with, with the new set that we have, um, mm-hmm. I think it, it made some some um, elements of the story kind of just pop a little more. Um, things like that that I think mm-hmm. are just a little bit more clear. Also, um, big bells in the first act. You know, it, there's so much going on. So to have it on two different, well, it's actually three different levels in little compartments helps keep the story clear. You know, there's about four or five different storylines happening and keeping them in different spaces, I think, has kept it really, you know, specific, which is, you know, I think kind of interesting, yeah. especially when you know the show so well. So it kind of, like, helps the audience focus on the story a little more? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when we first yeah. started working on it, Michael talked a lot about that. He said, you know, our transition from, from Off-Broadway to New York Theater Workshop which was such a specific space to the Nederlander was so quick, you know, that he didn't, he didn't mm-hmm. really, he always felt like there were things that he wanted to work on throughout the years. And he was given this opportunity to, to clarify things that he always wanted to clarify. So it was, it was, you know, really amazing in a creative sense to watch him do that. Sure. Now, um, well, you were just talking about Angel. When you were 11 listening to uh, the, the cassette tapes, did your parents have to explain drag queens to you? I'm sorry, what? When you were 11 listening to the cassette tapes, did your parents have to explain what a drag queen was? Oh, honey, no. Are you kidding me? <laughs> oh, I don't know why, but I think I've known what a drag queen was since I was from the womb. <laughs> I was listening. By the time I was in second grade, I only listened to Liza Minnelli and Barbara Streisand. I kind of was drag queen in my own bedroom. I just didn't have a penis. <laughs> Um, so one of the things, uh, Annalie, about this uh, revival that I've heard is that you have made Maureen 
quite a different character from what it was before. Is it is it hard to come into a show that has so many fans and exists as kind of an idea in so many people's minds, and then try to make it your own? Um, and and what are you finding as as Maureen in this revival? You know, it's it's one of those those kind of tasks that when you think about it too much, it feels overwhelming, and and um, you want to give up, you know, because this is such an iconic character, and you think to yourself, well, how can I reinvent this, and should I reinvent it, and and, you know, it's so interesting that people think that I'm so completely different. I, I feel like, um, you know, the first the first thing is I'm a huge Adina Menzel fan, and I was a hu- I'm was a huge fan of, you know, her body of work, but it, and I'm really a huge fan of her work in this, you know, specific piece. Like, you know, I think she's so brilliant and special, and I think she's very vulnerable um, just so naturally, and I think that is such a beautiful part of her work. Um, so... You know, when it came to, to looking at the role, I felt really an impulse to just focus primarily on the text. And, you know, the clues that I was getting from the text was that she was, you know, a fierce artist fighting so hard for what she believed in. And I did a lot of research on the performance artists of the of that time period, you know, because we're setting the show in mm-hmm. 1991. So from the mid-'80s to the the you know early 90s there was quite a surge in performance art especially you know in lower new york um with the nea4 fighting for for funding and uh i did quite a bit of research on that and i did some performance art in college and have quite a few friends that are performance artists so i felt like that was very integral to to the shaping of the character and the performance art performance piece you know was really like a jumping off point for me and it's as time you know as i've found my way through the role, um, I've, I think that I've focused more on that element of, of her character, but I feel like, you know, both my interpretation and Adina Menzel's interpretation, we're both striving for the same thing. We both have the same goals. It's all in the text. I think we are just so different, I think, as, as human beings, that the translation of the role is different. And, and also, I think we just look really different, and I, uh, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that has been kind of, you know, an integral part of people thinking that I am so different. But I definitely have found, you know, um, some moments in the show that that spoke to me, and and I decided to take in a, you know, a broader direction. Um, but I, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's what's so beautiful about working on a on a revival and working on reexamining what what exists before um you know and the sure. piece is great it holds up you know it, that's the thing you can they're reviving virginia wolf again and they did it you know six years ago seven years ago and they're doing it again they're doing it again because the piece holds up it's a beautiful piece of work so i think it's you know i think it's really i'm just grateful to the to the piece of of uh text that we're working on because it's allowed me to explore Absolutely. Um, well, you just mentioned Adina Menzel. Have you gotten a chance to speak with her just to tell her how much better you would be than her at the role? <laughs> oh, my God. No, you know, I was like, I remember telling Michael in rehearsals, I was like, if she comes, he was like, honey, they're in L.A. They're not going to come for a while. But I was like, if they do come, please do not tell me because I'm such a crazy fan that I'll be like all nervous and crazy. I, I can't wait to meet her. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the theater and about the acting, you know, art form is that we all bring mm-hmm. something so different to every role because we're all different human beings. So um, 
you know, it's just a reminder that, that you just have to, you know, go to the text and, and you'll find what you can from yourself. Um, but, yeah, yeah I, can, I would love to meet her and tell her how fabulous I think she is. I would totally be a weirdo, though. I'd be like, hi, I'm a crazy fan. <laughs> I kind of had that moment with Anthony Rapp, as I am a big fan as well. And I, uh, the first time we met, it was after a show he did with my friends, and I just I, I, uh, I said how much, like, his book meant to me when I lived out in L.A., and it got me through a rough time and stuff, and he was very nice, very appreciative. And then I saw him again, and I had, like, the same exact conversation, and uh, I think it made him feel a certain way. Just the way he kind of, like, he was very nice again, but he kind of looked at me like I was belonged in an institution when I was walking out. Oh, my gosh, I'm sure. He, you know what? He's a, such a lovely man, and, you know, that, that show is, I mean, Rent is so iconic. He must have people stop him on the street. You know, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Same way that, I mean, they all do. Everybody who was in that original company, you know, it's such a special electric time. Um, but I'm sure, and it, the show is so important to so many people, I'm sure. I'm sure he's, he's had, you know, been stopped by the month. That's amazing. You know, I cried openly when I met Angelo Lansbury. Wept. Mm-hmm. And it was so embarrassing wow. to walk away. But one time I saw Tiny Lapone <laughs> in a shoe store, and the same thing happened. I was like, I have to get out of here. What is wrong with me? I don't. That was like a whole other experience. I don't really. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think if I've cried when I met anybody else. But I, you know, I watched Bedknobs and Broomsticks a lot. Like Angela Lansbury is like just magic. I couldn't that happened? It was embarrassing. <laughs> um. Okay, so so you did not, in fact, talk to Adina, and you you don't plan on marrying Kay Diggs as as the traditional uh, process goes. I don't plan on what? Marrying Kay Diggs. Oh well, you know that would be fun. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, <laughs> well, our yes, actually, um, our Benny Ephraim is wonderful, delicious, but no, I don't. I don't think that's in the stars for us, even though I love him. <laughs> <laughs> If I may ask a serious question, uh, yes. I see in my notes, I see here that you grew up in Denver. What was it like for you as a Nuggets fan going through the endless Carmelo Anthony trade saga? Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, my boyfriend is a huge Bulls fan. So, like, mm-hmm. there were, every day he'd be like, are we going to get him? Are we, you know, remember I kept going back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, during my childhood you know, Denver is primarily a football town, so sure. the Nuggets, God love them, they had some rough years during my schooling time, and so I don't even think I had ever gone to a game, but this Carmelo Anthony, you know, period really would hit, you know, created a surge in basketball fandom out in Denver. Yeah, it was quite dramatic. It was, it was quite dramatic <laughs> for the whole town, and it was quite dramatic in my household because there was a chance he was maybe going to go to the Bulls. Yeah. Wow. I'm I'm very impressed by that answer. So you 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 win. Um, I do want to get to your role in, in Legally Blonde for a moment, where you played um, uh, Margot. Now, was this the yes. same show that was? Uh, this was the was this the same show that was on MTV. I'm curious as to what it was like being on Broadway and at and MTV at the same time. You know, it's crazy because I actually, when they aired it, I had just started playing Glinda in Wicked, and so I was, like, playing Glinda in Wicked on Broadway and doing Legally Blonde on TV at the same time. Oh, my God. You must have been so, like, schizophrenic at that time. Like, oh, my God, what's happening, huh? Um, you know, it was, it was really <laughs> an incredible experience. And at, at first, you know, 
nobody kind of knew what to think of it because nobody had done that before. But I think it was actually a really beautiful way to to reach, um, you know, a broader group of people and also a generation um, that I think has not been tapped into, especially with we, um, you know, from school theater. So it was really, it was, we had a blast doing it. We were exhausted by the end of the week because we did three extra shows on our two days off. So we mm-hmm. did like, what is that? We did, we did 19 shows in a row. I can't even believe we did that. It was crazy. Um, wow. It was thrilling. It was thrilling, and we had a great audience. Um, and it, I think it's such a beautiful documentation of what I think was a fabulous, fabulous show. So the fact that it reached that broad of an audience is amazing. And, you know, they showed it quite a bit overseas. And I have a lot of fans mm-hmm. from Iceland, and I have fans from Italy, and I have a lot of fans from London. And it was from them airing it on uh, um, an MTV overseas. Isn't that amazing? That's incredible, yeah. That's awesome that you got that international fan base from that show. Um, oh, ooh, and, uh, I've never heard it said like that. Ooh. Ooh, international fan base. Um, <laughs> now, I know uh, that you have a role uh, on the upcoming show, The Big C, and I saw that you actually had to practice smoking. This isn't going to turn out to be a bad habit now, is it? Oh, honey, no. I had to smoke some I couldn't smoke anything but the herbal cigarettes. And I'm still getting a little buzz from those. And I am not a good smoker. It's not, it, you know, that was like, I feel like that was, I'm more proud of my acting in the smoking portion than I think anything else because I'm so not a smoker. Yeah, stay away from cigarettes. But it looks yeah, fabulous. I, I felt really good about it at the end. That's like one of the hardest things is because when you are not a smoker, it's really hard to look like mm-hmm. you're a smoker. So I had to practice for like a whole weekend. And when I was done shooting yeah. the scene, I was like, oh, never again until I have to do a weird smoking scene. <laughs> when you practiced for the whole weekend, were you were you actually using cigarettes or just the herbal ones? I was using the herbals. I had one real cigarette, and then, like, I just, I'm an old lady or something. I felt like a, I couldn't do it. I was like, <laughs> well, good good for you for staying away. Um, and the other thing that I've noticed about uh, what's coming up for you is, is you're going to be on the uh, new NBC show Smash. How did that come about? Yeah, you know, I have a, I have a small uh, role, but uh, one that I was so grateful to do. Um, I'm really excited for this, this show. I think it's going to be really exciting for the New York theater community. Um, and I think it's going to show a, another side of, um, you know, Broadway that people haven't seen. So it's, it's totally exciting. And um, so happy to have some fellow New York theater actors be a part of it, Megan Hilty and um, Christian Borrell. <clears throat> and uh, it's really exciting. It's, I, I can't wait to see where they pick the show. Oh, and Brian Darcy That's James. Oh, delicious Brian Darcy James. They're all amazing. What is it? It's exciting. <laughs> Brian Darcy James and Christian Borrell and Megan Hilty, like, woohoo, let's, let's party started. Keep it going. Delicious. I, I love this, this. I'm going to start using this word that you've been using, delicious. How was your day, Ryan? Right? Delicious. I like that. It's good, right? It's good. good. Delicious <laughs> magic. All right. <laughs> um, all right, Emily, last thing we got to do, we're going to play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess. I give you a list of things. You tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? Yeah, oh, God. Okay, yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> all right, let's open it up. Who's a mess? Someone got you. Oh, I'm a mess. 
says, first up, yeah, first up on Hot or Hot Mess, Sarah Jessica Parker, Hot or Hot Mess. Hot. Hot. Good. Next up, Laura Bell Bundy, Hot or Hot Mess. Hot. She's always hot. Oh, you're being so nice so far. How about how about Judy Garland's Hot or Hot Mess? Oh, I love Judy so much. I have, like, some programs from when she played the palace, you know, back in, like, 56 and in the 60s, too. Um, Judy, even though she's hot, hotter than hot, she was a hot mess. <laughs> so she's a hot, hotter than hot, hot mess. When you do cocaine up your asshole, then you're a hot mess. Oh, my God. I did not know that she about Oh my Little God! Yeah, you need wow. to read. Yeah, you need to read Happy Days Are Here Again. Yeah. Oh, I'll have to do that now. Uh, no wonder Ashley Austin Morris, who are, was our first panel tonight, no wonder that's her hero. Um, next up on Hot or Hot Mess, Selena Carvajal, Hot or Hot Mess. Hot, yo, magic. <laughs> she's, I mean, she's a little messy. Let's be honest here. A little hot, like incredibly hot, but a little bit messy. No. No hot. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, how about Levi's Vintage Jeans, Hot or Hot Mess? Hot. Always <laughs> hot, no matter what, forever. Even if they're from, like, the late 80s and they're acid-washed, hot. Hot. How about Beyonce's Baby Bump, Hot or Hot Mess? Hot. So hot. I love that she threw the mic down and it hit the floor. Hot mess. I mean, hot. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> okay. Um, and how about the new Les Miserables movie, Hot or Hot Mess? What is that? Who's doing that? Um, I don't know. I guess there's a movie coming out, movie version of Lena. Well, it depends on who they hire. If they hire somebody fast, you know, they hire it really magically, then that could be hot. You know, I would love, if they haven't already hired, you know, all the good stuff, then I'd like to be one of the weird ladies in the brothels going, ah, ladies with some, like, snaggle tooth. Maybe I can What if they hire people? What if they hired Pierce Brosnan again? If they hired me as who? What if they hired Pierce Brosnan to do a musical movie again? Hot mess? I don't know. I, I think, you know, I I have to say hot mess. I can't with that. That's a lot. I can't wrap my brain around uh, it all, you know? <laughs> the next uh, part of Hot Mess, I'm going to play you a few clips from our show. You tell me if they are hot or a hot mess. Uh, first up, this is Mayor Bloomberg speaking Spanish. Uh, we'll take some questions, but first let me just try to summarize for our Spanish-speaking audience. Los vehículos que fueron abandonados en la calle durante la tormenta nos han dificultado la limpieza, pero estamos haciendo todo. Uh, lo posible y estamos utilizando todos los recursos que tenemos. Este es el esfuerzo de limpieza, limpieza más grande que ha visto nuestros ciudad. And with that, we'll be happy to take some questions, sir. Hot or hot mess? Hot mess. God love him. He doesn't even try to pronounce anything. <laughs> I know. He just rushed right through that. That was terrible. That's, I mean, yes. I just, that hot mess. But good Next for him for trying. That's what? Good for him for trying. Kudos. <laughs> he didn't really try. Let's let's uh, You but, know, at least at uh, what else? Yeah, hot mess. At least he said it, yeah. Um, next up on hot mess, 
This is hip hop legend Biz Marquis beatboxing on this show. <laughs> Hot. That was fierce at the end. Hot, hot. Hot, hot, hot. Hot. Hot and fierce. I like it. And last up, this is uh, from Broadway's A Christmas Carol, Jonathan DeMar's Rip Torn Impression. And after that, he sort of says, he says, somebody owes me a martini. And the whole (laughs) table cracks up. He's like, somebody owes me a martini. Hi. I could see his face. Hi. It was great. (laughs) <laughs> awesome. Um, well, Annalie, thank you so much for stopping by. You can catch Annalie in the Off-Broadway Revival of Rent, which is playing at New World Stages here in New York. It has been a pleasure. Love to have you back. I had a blast. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Happy, happy, what day is today? Happy Thursday. Happy Thursday. You have a, have a good day. Have a good weekend and break a leg with the show. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Talk to you soon. All right. Okay, Annalie bye. Ashford, check her out as Maureen in the new Off-Broadway revival of Rent. Um, All right. So we just wanted to mention that our guest from uh, last week, Emily Bergel, has uh, a a huge spread in the New York Times today. Uh, Her cabaret got a glowing review, so check that out. And we just had her on to talk about it, and that's freaking awesome. Um, Okay. So congratulations to Emily Bergel. um, And big ups to Annalie Ashford for coming on today. Thanks to Ashley Austin Morris and Patrick Kuzara. Uh, check us out on Monday. Show information will be up soon on the Facebook and the Twitter and all that good frag and knackle stuff. So, this is your smoking nephew on the ones and twos, blazing rise, signing off with a little if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, somebody owes me a martini. <laughs>